Happy Monday. You are listening to the Tar Devils Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network, where we talk Duke, UNC, ACC basketball. Welcome into episode five of the Tar Devils Podcast. My name is Tyler Azari, the always objective Duke Blue Devil fan in this duo, debating my good friend John. We had another great week of basketball, also a weird week, a lot of cancellations. John, go ahead and tell the listeners what we'll be talking about this week. Yeah, we have an exciting episode lined up for today. We're going to talk a little bit, of course, about the marquee matchup of this past week, UNC-Kentucky. That was a great basketball game. UNC prevailed 75-63, so we'll talk a little bit about that game and also grade the coaching performances of Coach K and Roy Williams so far. And during that Coach K segment, we'll talk a little bit about Duke's injury situation, which is definitely something to monitor. Then in the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the one-and-done rule. I really think that we're seeing the end of the quote-unquote one-and-done era in college basketball as more of these kids go straight to the pros, as the quality of one-and-done players goes down. I don't think you're going to be able to consistently win and make the Final Four anymore if you try to go with that one-and-done heavy route. So Tyler and I will get into it and debate that a little bit. And then in the final segment, we're going to talk some of the games that are coming up this week. We have Gonzaga, Virginia, UNC versus NC State, and Louisville versus Kentucky. Just a few games that are coming up this week. So it should be a very exciting episode. Yep, and to start it off, UNC recently beat Kentucky 75-63. to John what did you see in that game and so far up to this season? Go ahead and grade Coach Roy. Yeah, I'm going to start off with the UNC-Kentucky game. So North Carolina won 75-63 to against Kentucky. It was a neutral site game. It was a really weird game where North Carolina flipped opponents and found out they were playing Kentucky just a few days before. Um, it worked out well for North Carolina because Kentucky was, you know, they're, they're a wounded team right now. They're down. They're Right now, the record is 1-5 after this UNC loss, so this is not a normal Kentucky team at all. The first comment I have about the game, Tyler, we got to do something about the fouls. UNC had 25 personal fouls called. <laughs> Kentucky had 30 personal fouls called in this game. Go uh, ahead and mention the number of players that fouled out for each team. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of ridiculous. Kentucky, Four for Kentucky, zero for UNC. I hear you, and I'm actually going to agree with you on this. I think that's what it's fighting. <laughs> That's way too many. They have to get something figured out where basically the last 10 minutes of a college basketball game can't be a foul fest. It's got to be uh, a better situation where the players are allowed to play. Um, There was just so many foul shots in the second half. North Carolina attempted 29 free throws. Kentucky attempted 30 free throws. So it's not about discrepancy or one team getting advantage over the other. I would just prefer to see a lot less whistles, and just let them play a little bit. Tyler, did you get to watch all those foul calls in the second half? Yeah, and I think it's something that's been a problem all season. And you see with a lot of the charge calls, anytime someone falls over, it's a charge. doesn't matter if they're set. doesn't matter if they're in defensive position. Or it seems like if you blow them, it's like the big bad wolf. You just blow their house down. They fall over, charge. So that's some of the reasons we're getting a lot more, you know, offensive fouls and, people fouling out more. Yeah. And for the Tar Heels, this was an opportunity to put another game together, get a win. 
The biggest story was probably Kerwin Walton, a freshman wing. He had 13 points, including three of three from the three-point line and four three throws. He was a very key player for the Tar Heels, so it was great just to get him going. He's an important piece for this North Carolina team. Uh, North Carolina does not have a lot of shooting. They have some great big men, but they need some people who can space the floor around them. So getting Kerwin to the point where he can play heavier minutes, he can be counted on to hold the line on defense and then be an asset on offense with that shooting is important. So maybe a little bit of a breakout game for him. I also want to call out Armando Baycott. Uh, it's clear that he's made a humongous imp improvement from the 2020 season, his freshman season, until now. Um, his offensive rating this season is 126.3. That's way higher than it was last year when he was at 101.4. Basically, that means he's just converting a lot more of his free throws. He's being a lot more efficient, uh, especially around the basket. Um, I like what Armando Baycott has put on film so far early on in this season, and he played very well against Kentucky with 14 points, 5 of 8 from the field. He even blocked a couple of shots, which is not something that he's necessarily known for. So I think some positives for North Carolina coming out of this Kentucky win, but not uh, out of the woods yet. You have to beat NC State, and then you can sort of take a deep breath and look at uh, going into the 2021 portion of the schedule and really focus on ACC play. So John, go ahead. Give... Give the listeners your grade for Coach Roy thus far. Yeah, I think so far this season, I'm going to give Coach Roy a B minus, and here's why. North Carolina right now sits with a record of 5-2, and two, which is great. Um, I think that coming out of non-conference play, they've had a tough schedule, so they haven't really lost any games they were supposed to win, or they haven't lost any games that they really shouldn't have yet which is a, a good sign. And that's an important part of being a coach is getting your team prepared for those games. But where I'm going to sort of discount Coach Roy right now, I don't think he's done a good job of integrating UNC's young guards into the system. UNC has a very complex offensive system, as we know, and the freshman guards are having a steep learning curve, and they haven't really been able to excel yet and sort of... John, mess. let me stop you real quick. You've mentioned a number of times... UNC's complex offense. Go ahead and explain that a bit. A bit. What is so complex about it? Yeah, so if you have a freshman guard, you want to keep things as simple as possible. But with North Carolina's offensive system, there's a lot of specific reads, specific movements. Um, you know, there's a lot of box sets that can be challenging if you don't know exactly how to inbound the ball to a postman or to make the right cut coming off the weak side. It's not necessarily your high school style offense where you just go four out and have someone drive or a simple ball screen at the top. So these freshmen, I think, are struggling a little bit. They're drowning a little bit this season. And I would have loved to have seen Roy Williams design the offense a little bit more around their strengths while still incorporating all of UNC's big men. Um, I know that's not really Roy Williams' way. He's had a lot of success with this offensive system but I think that North Carolina can do a better job of playing to Caleb Love and R.J. Davis's strengths. Um, I'd like to see more of that, so I'm going to give Coach Roy a B- so far. How about you, Tyler? Um, I'm going to give Coach Roy a solid D, D as in dog. So 
You mentioned a cut, a tough schedule. I don't see a tough schedule. I see, you know, College of Charleston, UNLV, NCCU, and Kentucky. That's four of your, I believe, six games. Those are cupcake games. Kentucky's one and five right now, having lost five in a row. They weren't just bad. They suck, to be honest. They're awful. Like, when I tuned in, it was laughably bad how low the IQ of the Kentucky guards are. I mean, dribble one play dribbling into three people and keeping the dribble alive for them to just steal the ball, for UNC to steal the ball. The next play, dribble baseline right into a double team, step out of bounds. I mean, it's it's unreal how bad Kentucky is right now, which is why later in the show we'll get into, you know, the one-and-done era and the, the effectiveness of it going forward. But I, I think Kentucky is another one of those cupcake games that UNC was losing much of the game and pulled it out only after Kentucky had every one of their bigs foul out. Ended up having four foul out overall, but UNC struggled the majority of that game. So I look at two tough games. Well, I'll, I'll give you Stanford as being a, a, a good competition. UNC didn't look great, but they won the game. I'll give you that. Then there's two tough games, Texas and Iowa, and you lost both of them. Texas, you did not look good. A theme for UNC this year has been getting off to slow starts and having these big deficits to have to overcome. That has not changed. Roy has not corrected that, which is why I, again, give him a knock. But in Texas, we didn't even touch on this earlier. Roy is the reason you lost that game. In the final minute, you had an inbounds play to take the lead. And now I realize why Roy never calls timeouts at the end of games. Because if he does, you're for sure going to lose because he does not know how to drop a play. You guys had it under Texas basket, and he drew up a play where you had four guards or four players run to the baseline. One player set a back screen for Garrison for a lob. The issue is if you miss that lob, you literally have a four-on-zero the other way for Texas, which is exactly what happened. You threw it to Garrison. It was a bad pass. Four-on-zero the other way, easy layup, UNC loses. That's an awful play to draw up. He, so I literally put that loss solely on Roy right there. So then your next game against Iowa, you lost by 13. But I thought that was UNC's best game of the year. So I, I did see a lot of improvement, but I think it was an anomaly game because there is a difference in the way players will shoot and play overall when you're an underdog versus um, being the, the favorite. And UNC shot, I think, 40% from three. I don't think that's going to happen the whole rest of the season. So it took an anomaly game for you to lose by 13, but I still think – I do give Roy credit for having the team ready to play, playing with energy. Again, you were down 15 early in that game, and you came back. So, you know, I'm looking at a schedule where the cupcake games, UNC struggled every one of those. You didn't win the two only tough games you have on your schedule, and I'm not seeing an improvement in terms of getting off to a quick start. You're down – seemingly every game early, and have to come back. My last point is this. When I look at an individual pieces, I don't see a much improvement from each of the players. Caleb Love has not improved very much. R.J. Davis, who I think is your best freshman, had three points against Kentucky. Dayron Sharp has been good, but he also has struggled consistently with turning the ball over. Kessler can't find minutes anymore. Baycott has been a consistent piece. He's been by far the best player on your team, and you know how I feel about Garrison Brooks. So for that reason, I'm going to give Roy a solid D on his performance. Before we jump into talking about Duke's rating a little bit, I do want to mention North Carolina's strength of schedule rating per KenPom.com, 38th in the country, where Duke's is 93rd. So if you gave Coach Roy 
a D for you know having that low schedule. You're gonna give Coach K and F, right? That's that's about to come up. What's your grade for? Coach I gave K? Roy a D for his performance, not for the strength of schedule. Also, Duke has only played four games so far. That's that is true. Let's jump into the Duke side of things. First of all, Tyler, set the stage for us. Where is Duke at this point in the season, and what's going on with the injury situation? Yeah, so Duke right now is three and two, coming off a fairly impressive victory at Notre Dame. John, you always get on Duke about having a road game. Seems to me we should always play road games with how we played recently. But Duke beat Notre Dame 75 to 65. The big headline coming out this week is Jalen Johnson, Duke's prized freshman, probably only one and done at this point of the year. He has a ankle injury. If you ask Jeff Goodman, he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's a hoax. But, you know, that's for more of the Duke haters to say. So Jalen Johnson, he's got an ankle injury or foot injury. It's undisclosed what exact injury it is. He's out two to three weeks. He's in a walking boot right now. He will be reevaluated in those two to three weeks to see if he can return for the season. So who knows if he will return, if he's able to. Well, there's a question if he even wants to return. I think he does, but there are people saying it's not in his best interest to come back from an injury. So that is a big headline going forward, something we will monitor throughout the year. Nevertheless, after um, hearing that news, Duke had an impressive win against Notre Dame on the road. John, what do you give Coach K? Um, or what grading do you give Coach K for this season? My grade for Coach K so far this year is a solid C. I think he's doing a passing job. Um, really, the toughest test for him is going to be shaping a new roster around whatever's left, depending on Jalen Johnson's situation. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. They're kind of figuring out who who are we, and they've kind of gone through a couple different iterations of that experimentation at the beginning of the season. Now they sort of have to do it all over again. So I'd like to see what Coach K can do. So far, he's done a passing grade job, but he's got a lot of work ahead of him to get this Duke team through a brutal conference slate. Uh, what's your grade, Tyler? So you gave Roy a B and Coach K a C. That's right. How ha- so tell me, how has UNC improved more than Duke so far? So in fairness, I did go give Coach Williams a B minus. So a little bit worse. Okay, B minus and C. So <laughs> you you so you still think UNC has improved more, right? So how so? I I do think I think that Coach Williams has done a little bit better job than Coach K so far this season. I think that Coach Williams has done a really good job of getting this North Carolina team through a more difficult schedule, which we've established with the objective numbers, bringing a little bit of no, that's just – see, you're deceiving the listeners now. That takes into account road games, which you know right now they're all neutral site games. So that's one. And two, the number of games UNC has played has also influenced the strength of schedule. I, I, I hear you. We know that road games is super weird. I think there's been some interesting research already that's been done about whether or not there's a home court advantage I'm sticking to it though. North Carolina is five and two. Duke is three and two. I think Coach Williams has done a little bit better job than Coach K so far this season. But as we know, 
The season is not over. We're starting to get into the meat of conference play. Okay. Uh, just to add, if Duke played Gardner-Webb and Charleston Southern like they should, they would also be 5-2, and two, not 3-2. and two. Those are the games that were canceled. So objectively, the schedules would be equal. Both teams would have lost their only ranked matchups. So I see the schedules as equal. Um, Coach K, I'm going to go ahead and give him a B minus like you gave Roy. So it's been a difficult season with not having these easy games to tune up. Coach Roy has had those games to get his team to play better, and they have not done it consistently. Every, I haven't seen a, a complete game of UNC yet, which Duke just had one against Notre Dame. So. When you look at Duke's schedule, they played Coppin State first. They did not look good at all. The second game of the season is versus a top-10 team, Michigan State. Going into that game, Duke, where Coach K still had the mindset that we could play through Wendell Moore and play through Matthew Hurt and play through the sophomores and juniors as more of the veteran, veteran presence on the team. Uh, quickly, we realized that is not going to work. And Wendell Moore can barely even see the floor right now. And that's who the marquee guy was. So Coach K then, and my, to my surprise, made quick adjustments and sat Joey Baker, sat Wendell Moore, and had them come off the bench pretty early in the season, which in the past he's been very faithful to some of the more veteran guys um, and had more of the freshman earned minutes. So for him to do that early on, right after the Michigan State game, I think says a lot. And it's something I was pretty impressed with because it enables someone like Jeremy Roach to come out of his shell more. And I said from episode one, Jeremy Roach is going to need to be an efficient scorer. And he is someone that has made the jump that Caleb Love or R.J. Davis has, has needed to make. So he, the last two games um, against Notre Dame and Illinois, he became – much more confident in his shot and his willingness to take the shot. And he's shooting very well. I think he was five of six from the field last game against Notre Dame, played very well against Illinois. He is someone that Duke is going to need this season and can continue to grow. He'll be great next year. Um, I assume he's going to decide to stay. So that's someone right off the bat where Coach K has helped his game improve. But you look at Roy, Caleb Love, and R.J. Davis have not really improved over the season. So then I'm going to look next at – Someone like Jamin Brakefield. I mean, probably one of the lower recruits Duke has had, but kind of pushing a starter role now. And he, again, had a great game against Illinois and a great game against Notre Dame. And Coach K is letting this roster of 9 to 10 deep fight for minutes. And especially against Notre Dame when we didn't have Jalen Johnson, I think that's helping um, boost the level of play. You have this – when Jalen Johnson went down, you think about the next man up mentality – it doesn't always have to be the one guy filling in for Jalen Johnson. It can be a collective bunch of people increase their play together, which is what Duke did. So Coach K is doing a great job of letting this roster that's very deep, playing the guys, seeing who's earning the minutes and playing them. doesn't matter about seniority in this case, because if you're someone like Wendell Moore who has not played well at all and his stock has really decreased as a result, you know, Coach K is saying to him, okay, Listen, I know that you came in with a lot of hype this year, but you're not earning it. And he's letting these freshmen play or get more minutes and play better overall. To close it out, we both sort of agreed um, in the general grade range that we gave the two coaches. No A's, no F's. Um, but 
definitely these coaches have a lot to do heading into ACC play. With that, let's jump in a little bit to topic number two, where we're going to talk about the one and done rule. John, let's talk about the one and done era. Do we think it's done? UNC just beat a proud Kentucky team and Kentucky program, 75-63. Kentucky, a preseason top 10 team that is now unranked, 1-5 overall, probably right now not even looking like it will make the NIT tournament. John, what do you think about the one-and-done era? Is it done? What is the future of it? Yeah, so when I think about college basketball in the 2010s, I think that the sport has been defined by these one-and-done super talents, and they've gone to schools like Kentucky, and they've gone to schools like Duke, and they've had incredible success. I think the biggest example that you have to think of right off the top of the of your head was the Kentucky team in 2012 that won the national championship. That team went 38 and 2. They were led by mostly freshmen. They started Marquise Teague, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Kyle Wilter was on that team, but most notably Anthony Davis. He was the superstar freshman who propelled that Kentucky team to a championship. And coach Cal at Kentucky had a lot of success with that method. Um, he made the Final Four in 2015. I believe they were the runner-up in 2014. They made the Elite Eight in 2017 and 2019, and they probably would have gone pretty far last year as well before the coronavirus shut down the season. But I think we're reaching sort of an inflection point in the one-and-done era of college basketball. You look at the top 20, the the 20, uh, excuse me, the 2020 top basketball recruits. You have Cade Cunningham, the number one overall player. He went to Oklahoma State, even though they have a postseason ban, so he was fine doing that. And the two of the top four recruits, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kumga, however you pronounce that, I apologize if I Kuminga, Jonathan Kumga, yep. Yep. He did the unlikely thing of going straight to the G League, which would have been unheard of a few years ago, given where the G League was. But they both decided to go to the G League elite team over playing college basketball, which is really surprising. And given the fact that the NBA is opening back up the high school to professional pipeline, most likely in 2022, if not sooner, it's really going to be tough for some of these college teams like a Kentucky like a Duke, like any other school that's gone this route, to sort of build a team around a superstar freshman or a group of superstar freshmen. So I think this really is the inflection point this season. We see where Kentucky is right now. I think there's not going to be a lot of teams that are able to build out a one-and-done roster moving forward. Yeah, and for me, I've never thought the one-and-done rebuild every year was the way to get a champion way to earn a championship um it's college basketball really has always been a a championship you have to get by having seniors or having veteran leadership and people that know how to play not even necessarily system know how to play together and if you look at this decade there's only two teams that have won a championship with one and done that's the 2012 
Kentucky team you mentioned, 2015 Duke team. That Duke team, every one of the players, every one of the coaches will um, talk about how much or give they will give a ton of credit to Quinn Cook, a senior on that team, and discuss how important he was for them to have a, to, to, for senior leadership on that team. So even Duke in 2015 having one, they depended on that senior leadership. When you look at there's two other teams that um, embraced the one and done that I think were elite but didn't win. That was um, the year that Kentucky lost to UNC, I think it was Elite Eight, when they had Bam, De'Aaron Fox, and Malik Monk. That team was elite. And also Duke's team that, that had Zion, Cam Reddish, and um, RJ. Also Trey Jones, one of my favorite players. Those two teams didn't win either. And those were really true freshman teams. So I've never really thought one and done is the way to get a championship. It's only happened really two times. And those teams still needed some senior leadership. The 2015 Kentucky team you mentioned, those were comprised of a lot of 2014 guys that came back. You know, think about the Harrison twins. They were sophomores, not freshmen. So one and done, I really don't think is the way to win a championship anyway. And especially now with people going to the G League and having other options, like not even the G League, but going abroad, playing Australia or Europe for a year before going to the draft, you're not getting some of the elite talent that you used to see in college basketball. Um, so, I mean, when you look at this year, Illinois has a great freshman. Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, a freshman, probably the best player in the league. He may win player of the year at this point. So other than other than those teams, you don't see the, the, the talent of freshmen that can carry teams to a Final Four, carry teams to a championship. So even though – one and done system may be coming, you know, to an end soon enough. I don't think it's going to impact the championship winning teams that much. Yeah, but you referenced that Duke team with RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion. Those were three sensational high school prospects, all rated in the top five of the 247 composite dash that year. And they basically said, hey, guys. Let's get together. We're going to sacrifice a little bit of points. We're going to come together and we're going to try to do uh, do it all in one season in college. We're going to try to win the national championship. We're going to live the entire Duke experience, kind of following the model that was set forth by the Fab Five. I just don't know. No, I think more set forth by Trey's brother, Tyus, in 2015. That's what Trey tried to recreate. A absolutely. But they were recreating. They were sort of saying, hey, let's come together as a team. Let's be a great team, even though we're young freshmen and we plan on going to the NBA next season. Let's try to do this together. They're just I just don't know when the next time there's going to be a group of freshmen who try to team up together and win a championship in college is. I mean, you made a great point, too. A lot of these guys have already started, sort of started to go trickle overseas. Um, LaMelo Ball is a prominent example of someone who never played a game of college basketball, even though he played a lot of different overseas leagues. So I think the college, the sport of college basketball is really starting to reckon what does it look like when the most talented high school players aren't going to play uh, within the ranks of March Madness, aren't going to participate in college basketball anymore. It's going to sort of reset the natural order of things. And you're seeing it here with Kentucky, a very proud program who's now sort of at the bottom of the SEC 
and uh, definitely not holding up to Kentucky standards. I wonder if Coach Cal is going to sort of have to adjust his recruiting methods and sort of go, he's already gone a little bit more grad transfer, but maybe you stop chasing a different roster every year and you have to sort of fall back and find guys who are going to stick around because even if you do get one of the top rated freshmen, maybe they're not good enough to carry a team like someone like Anthony Davis was that good or Carl Anthony Towns was that good. So I just think it's a really interesting moment in college basketball, something to monitor moving forward. Yeah, I'll be remiss if I don't mention also the, the Duke team with Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, Grayson, Trayvon Duvall, and Gary Trent Jr., another elite team lost on one of the most horrific charge calls in history on Wendell Carter in the lead eight. But, you know, I just want to build on your point about um, the freshmen that come in, may, that come in, maybe they're not good enough. I think we already see that. Look at Duke and UNC. Weren't we the one and two ranked recruiting classes coming into the year? And we'll, I mean, maybe have one player from each team that's a one and done. There are going to be a lot of the players that return this next year. And I think Duke could be one and two in the rankings because of that. There are a lot of, you're going to build these recruits that come in, but they're not quite good enough to, to leave. And so it'll be interesting to monitor that. Is, is college basketball landscape already changing? with the talent of the one-and-dones that are coming in right now, the talent that has chosen to leave. So that's just something I thought was was interesting. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see how Kentucky finishes out the season. If Coach Cal was on the podcast right now, he'd say, oh, it takes us time to get better over the course of the year. We'll improve, we'll improve. But I just don't know how big their ceiling is moving forward. I don't know how much talent they have uh, to really coalesce and improve. I think last year's UNC team could beat this year's Kentucky team. Talk about battle of, like, the trash teams. That'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody would want to watch that game. Uh, <laughs> but something to monitor with the one-and-done era. Uh, let's move into our final topic of the day, which is making picks, as we usually do, for the final few exciting games coming up. Okay, let's recap some of the games from last week. A very weird week with a lot of cancellations and reschedulings and last-minute reschedulings with you know, UNC and Kentucky. So FSU beat my team, Georgia Tech, 74-61. to Then FSU turned around and lost to UCF in their next game. Virginia Tech beat 25th-ranked Clemson, 60-66. State, NC State had its first loss of the season against the Billikens in St. Louis, and then Louisville pummeled by Wisconsin, 85 to 48, a game that was seemingly a 30-point game from from tip. You know, some surprises that week. Going into next week for our, our weekly betting segment of this podcast, I would like to uh, say that I won both both of the bets last week, but both games were canceled. We bet on uh, UNC and Ohio State. That game was canceled, and we also bet on Villanova, Virginia. That game was canceled. So this week, the two the two games we have, UNC and NC State, and also later on, Virginia rescheduled a game against Gonzaga. John, let's start with NC State and UNC. Who do you got? So the point I want to make about NC State 
is that they're uh, sort of a little bit of a darling depending on which advanced analytics site you choose to frequent. There's one site, evanmaya.com, that has NC State as the ninth best team in the country based on some uh, advanced metrics and the like. That's far ahead of where they have North Carolina ranked 18th in that same uh, computer metric. So something to keep an eye on. I don't think NC State is as bad as some people think. With that said, there's something about North Carolina versus NC State when Roy Williams is the head coach. I think North Carolina is going to find a way to win this game. I think it's going to be close, but Roy Williams is not going to lose to NC State. Uh, they didn't last year, so I don't think they will this year either. I'm picking North Carolina. How about you, Tyler? John, with all the analytics, you're like the one GM that every player hates in the league. I mean, you're just going to find whatever site you can to try to boost up NC State to make them seem like a good team. They've played, you know, basically high school teams up to this point, except one game against St. Louis and they lost. I don't think they're very good, even though that was just their first loss this season. Um, it's it's tough at this point because I still don't think UNC is that great, but I can't pick NC State, the uh, really younger brother that's bullied out of the trio in this rivalry to uh, to beat UNC in this in this scenario. Let's jump in to make that second pick. We have Gonzaga. They're 4-0. Uh, they have no cupcakes on their schedule. They've beaten Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, and Iowa. Um, they do play Northwestern State on Monday when this podcast will be released. And then they have a big matchup against Virginia at a neutral site on the day after Christmas. Wow, Christmas is, is soon. That's crazy. Um, Tyler, what are your thoughts on Gonzaga versus Virginia? Who's your pick? Yeah, one point I want to make about Gonzaga is for the last 10 years, they have been seemingly number one every year, and they never have won the championship. So there always is rightful speculation about Gonzaga. In my opinion, they've only had two elite teams in the 10 years with the William Goss team that lost to UNC and also the team when they had Hachimura with Josh Perkins and um, Norvell running the show at guards. Those teams were great. This team, unfortunately, is also elite, maybe the best of those three teams. And Jalen Suggs is a difference maker. Just as a freshman, I would like to see him win player of the year right now. He makes that team go. And they really can score at all five positions. And Virginia can score at no positions. So... Going into this game, I see Gonzaga blowing UVA out of the water. You have to be – UVA is normally a team that you say you have to be efficient to beat them. But now I see it flipped. I see UVA, okay, you're going to have to score to stay with Gonzaga because Gonzaga is going to score no matter who you put on them. The only team that I think has a shot against them this year is Baylor because they can guard at all five positions. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see, but I think Gonzaga probably wins by 20. I agree with you. I'm picking Gonzaga in this game. They are a complete team. You referenced they've never won, but who knows? They might have won last year. They were playing really well before everything got shut down. I think they're going to be right. Well, we all know Duke would have won last year, so. <laughs> uh, I know. Just uh, just like UNC would have made the NCAA tournament last year, if you know, if they hadn't canceled, <laughs> things. If they hadn't canceled things, UNC definitely definitely would have 
No, they would have run the table hey, in the ACC. They going to the ACC tournament. UNC was going to win the ACC tournament and make the and make the NCAA. But then you got smacked by Syracuse, so things happen. Yeah, we uh we quickly forgot that game. I think actually when you look at the records, I think they actually canceled the whole ACC tournament. So that actually never happened. That, that <laughs> game we were referencing. Um, no, but I'm picking Gonzaga in this game. It'll be fun to watch because it's fun to watch Gonzaga play, um, and watching them survive against Virginia and Tony Bennett's system will be an interesting clash of styles. But I think Gonzaga prevails. We'll talk about it. No matter what happens next week on the podcast, the last podcast of the calendar year in 2020, Tyler, take us out, remind people where they can find us, rate us, all that good stuff. Yeah, we're excited to close out the year strong. You can follow us at Twitter at Tar Devils Pod. Please, please tweet us um, your reactions to the show and anything you'd like to hear in future segments. We'd like to increase our engagement with the listeners. Um, you can also Subscribe to us on Spotify and subscribe also on Apple Podcasts. One last shout out. I want to give a shout out to East Carolina. They're six and one. Jaden Gardner. He's a very good player. I want to give him a little shout out, a little bit of love to East Carolina on the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you all next week.